Caroline Ra, and you're listening to Spirit of the Dawn Podcast 6. Today, we'll be exploring revelations of the ruby crystal with metaphysical teacher and author, Barbara Ancloud. Every single day since whence I wake, I feel the same. Somehow I have changed. What do the people of the street? Yeah, made me feel it. Somehow life is sweeter every day. Somehow life is sweeter every day. Hey, uh, you've gotta find a time to change. Gotta find the time to find this time to embrace the colors, fine lines and shades. It makes this place, it makes this place great. I'll embrace the change. Whoa, 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 I'll embrace the change. Whoa, whoa. From beautiful Ashland, Oregon, I am Pleiadian Emissary of Light, Caroline Ra. Thank you all for joining me today. Welcome to Spirit of the Dawn. It is a fascinating time in our planetary home when universal truths and truths about Earth's history are entering the mass consciousness. My guest today, Barbara Hanclow, is a metaphysical scholar and an author of numerous books that have helped to awaken many to a greater reality. Barbara combines her indigenous background and a deep curiosity and passion for truth with her talents as a writer to create such titles as The Pleiadian Agenda, Alchemy of Nine Dimensions, Awakening the Planetary Mind and the Mayan Code. Barbara is with us today to discuss her first foray into fiction, the first book in a trilogy, Revelations of the Ruby Crystal, packed with characters that you can taste and touch and a plot that makes it hard to put the book down. Barbara has woven metaphysical wisdom into a story of romance, sexual energy, deep earth forces, and Vatican world control. I am delighted to welcome to Spirit of the Dawn, author Barbara Hanclow. Barbara, thank you so much for being here with us today. Well, thanks for having me, Carolyn. Wow. Such an exciting book, and uh, I actually could not put it down and didn't put it down. I really just read the book, uh, and I'm looking forward to the sequel coming out. Uh, it is such a lively book. How did these characters come to life in your world? Well, they just all appeared um, one morning in May 2011. I was in, in my meditation space where I also write. And um, all of a sudden, this, this amazing group of characters appeared. Um, and uh, they weren't physical in the sense that I could actually touch them. But um, they gave me their, their names and their ages and their profession and their background and their intellectual um, approach to things. And this also was a group of characters that are, that are two generations. It's a group of young people, people in their 30s, say. And then um, uh, they all have sets of parents. And so this novel has two generations going, which I think is going to be very important because this is part of a trilogy and this is the first book and I think that interaction between two generations is very important. So they all appear um, except one, um, Lorenzo Giannini, who's a, um, <coughs> excuse me, a Jungian analyst. And um, so the next thing is what was I going to do? And I talked to my husband Jerry about it and he and I teach together and he right away said, you, you've, got to, you've got to make this into a novel. So I never plotted it or anything. I just sat down every day um, with the characters, and I just um, let them do their thing. 
Well, it really is amazing how it all uh, takes off, and you're really dealing with such serious information and such important information, very relevant to what we're learning about on our planet. Uh, what was it like for you to weave your teachings into fiction? Yeah, because some of my old fans, my, you know, who have read many of my other books, um, have been concerned that I went into fiction. But the reason that I went into fiction is that, um, at, excuse me, I've got a frog in my throat. Um, at age 70, um, I went over all of my work, and I was what I was trying to figure out was what's the most significant thing that I've done. And I feel that my most original um, uh, contribution comes from the Pleiadian agenda and alchemy of nine dimensions. I think my nine-dimensional system has ended up being a really powerful tool for people. And so I had an intuition that if I was writing fiction, that it could be multidimensional. The reason for that would be because characters are all very different, and then they all change and interact with each other in the novel. And as a matter of fact, the book is um, multidimensional. There are aspects of all nine dimensions in the book. So it's a new way for me to teach, but actually a much more creative format for me. Now, can you give us just a little bit of background? Um, there's two main characters, Sarah and Simon, but also one of the characters really becomes the ruby crystal. Now, did the crystal appear to you also as a character, or is this a crystal that you actually know? Um, I've actually had this crystal for about 30 years, and it was given to me by a, a fellow teacher um, who died that night. And um, he gave a couple of crystals to a, to a group of teachers in Santa Fe, and um, different ones, um, in my case, Ruby. And um, I've been working with it ever since. But what happened when I started writing the novel was the crystal actually started transmitting. And as soon as Sarah became psychic, the um, crystal itself started transmitting, and that's just what it's doing. Like, I'm wearing it right now. I had it set in a, in a gold setting. And um, whenever I do an interview or whenever I write, I always wear this crystal at this point. Wow, that's amazing. How much of you is in the Sarah character? Um, what did I do with no, how, how much of you is in the Sarah character? How much of your own um, personal life? Yeah, good question. She would, yeah, she'd be the one who's the most autobiographical in this book. And the reason for that is that um, I finished my master's degree with Matthew Fox back in 1983 in theology. And at that point, I wanted to get a Ph.D. in patristics, which is the study of the early church. And the reason I wanted to do that was to figure out how we got so derailed on who um, Jesus was. And so the problem was I had four children and a, a job at Baron Company. At that point, I was a publisher. And it was impossible. I couldn't consider getting a Ph.D. So what I did is I got one anyway, because I then launched into all of the studies that one undergoes um, in order to understand the early church and, of course, build up a library in that field. And so Sarah Adamson, the main female character, is, get, is getting her Ph.D., in patristics, and in that sense, it's, I'm kind of fulfilling myself by creating this character. And I think she's wonderful. She really is. She really is. Um, yeah, I I love how the characters are so vivid, and I can see how they originate with you that they exist in another dimension and they actually just pop right out on the page. Uh, it's it's very powerful. Um, yeah, and the big 
big challenge on this novel was, after all, I've written nonfiction for 45 years. And the question is, could I write fiction? And the issue with fiction is the characters really have to be so real that when you go into that book and take your afternoon reading or whatever you're doing, you need to be in their world. And I do feel that I succeeded at that. I had no way of knowing whether I actually could do that. Um, it's possible that one of the reasons I've been able to do that is I'm the author of the Mind Chronicles trilogy. And the Mind Chronicles trilogy is based on 100 past life regression sessions that I did back in the 1970s. And it covers 100,000 years of human consciousness. It, it isn't really about my past lives, to tell you the truth. It's just about all of these characters playing roles at different times in history and human consciousness. And so it's possible that that's why I've been able to do this. But I do think that the characters are very real. They're very much living beings. The um, characters also have their own past lives that get woven into the story. Yeah, there's a few traces to that. I'm not really following that very much. But I think most of us, when we fall in love or when we go through a big transition in our lives, often people pick up fragments of past lives. Um, you, you don't really know what they are, but they're just like poetic fragments in a sense. So there's a few of those in the book. Um, like Sarah, Sarah and Simon, the two, the two main characters in the book who fell in love, they seem to have had a past life together in Portugal. Um, but I'm not sure about that. See, the, the interesting thing about this, Caroline, is that I really just experience these characters. I just let them um, do their thing, and I don't necessarily always know exactly what they're doing. Maybe by the end of the trilogy, I'll, I'll thoroughly know them. I don't even know what their astrological signs are for the most part. <laughs> okay. Um, that would be interesting to figure out and all that. Uh you deal with the subject of what we're going to refer to here as evil. I think of evil as the absence of light. Uh, you deal with it in a very, very interesting way, particularly with one of the characters, and I don't want to give away the story too much. Um, can you discuss the concept of evil on our planet and evil uh, controlling people? Yeah, and the character that you're referring to, referring to, of course, is Armando Pierleone, who's an Italian um, aristocrat. And um central question in this novel is how does evil get into the world? Particularly, how does the Catholic Church end up being a conduit for evil on the planet? And so central theme um, behind everything is the issue of priestly sexual abuse and in the Catholic Church. And um, Simon of Hell, the main male character, is a reporter for the New York Times working in Rome. That's the reason that the novel is set in Rome. Although the real reason it's set in Rome is there's another deeper issue, which is the issue of our planetary midline that goes through Rome and goes through Germany and, and goes through Sweden. And um, I'm also exploring the possibility in this novel that Rome is located right on that planetary midline because that's what enables it to control the world of finances and, and, and Catholic religion. So there's many, many deep themes playing out here. And the, the issue is how does evil come into the world and when we're affected by evil, when we have some sort of really negative experience, how do we deal with that? And so there's a lot of themes of healing in this book also, particularly healing from um, priestly sexual abuse. Which becomes part of the multidimensional aspect of the story. Uh, 
Yeah, that's that, that's true because I think the minute that someone is pierced or penetrated by evil, you know, goes through some kind of shock of that nature. I think what happens is they they are in a sense pierced by an energy that puts them in touch with other dimensions. And this 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 is a really big issue in our time, in our current time, because we have a lot of people who are just losing their ability to hang on to reality. You know, people who are flipping out. And um, I think when people are flipping out, like having a schizophrenic breakdown or whatever, I think what's actually happening is they're being exposed to um, multi-dimensional um, aspects of reality, and they can't handle it. So the novel is exploring the way in which multi-dimensional aspects affect us, and then um, how, how, how can we handle that? How can we deal with that? And a key character on that issue is Simon, Simon Appel's father, David Appel. And David Appel is kind of like a Jewish magus. The, uh, the family there has a uh, background with Isaac Luria, who's a um, famous magus from like 500 years ago. And David is a really intense, deep character. He's really deepening. I'm writing the sequel now, of course, and he's really deepening in the sequel. And so I'm really trying to really get at just what happens to us when we start to, you could say that people fragment um, when they're under stress or when they're they're being abused, and then what happens is they they find themselves being exposed to other you know other worlds and other forms of consciousness, and they don't know what it is, they don't know how to handle it, and clearly um, we're in the middle of a great big wake up call right now. Um, it's obvious to me that people are going to have to learn how these things work because otherwise the degree that we're going to be experiencing this much mental illness is just going to be increasing. That's so interesting, Barbara. It's it's fascinating speaking with you today because I, I personally feel that mind control in all of its forms is probably the number one issue on our planet today. That's how I personally feel about things. It's my perspective on, on our planet. Um, and I feel that there's so many people being controlled by forces that they don't understand. And that can be as simple as, um, you know, pharmaceutical companies and television advertising, or it can be much more on a personal level. Um, so it's just fascinating discussing this and, and helping others to awaken to some of the truths that are going on on our planet in, in a way that doesn't create fear for them. I think that's very yeah, important. And, yeah, and this is the day after the bombing and the, the attack in Paris, and nobody has noticed it yet. But the attack was 11, 13, 15, 2015. 11, 13, 2015. Now, all of these major attacks in the last 10 or 15 years have had all kinds of number coding to them, like 9-11 and some of the bombings um, on, in, in Europe, some of the train bombings and stuff like that. And so something goes on here with the fourth dimension. Um, in my system, the fourth dimension is the realm of archetypes and the collective mind. And for some bizarre reason, when people pull off these kind of horrible, violent activities, they use numbers, which is really weird. And so one of the reasons I'm trying to explore these issues through a really bright character like David Appel is to get a hold of some of these games that are being played, you know, because we, we're struggling, all of us are struggling to comprehend what's happening to us. Um, for you, in, in channeling uh, the information for the book and for the second book that you're writing right now, uh, do you get information about the numbers? 
Um, sometimes, yeah, I, I sure haven't figured it out, but you sure can't not see that something's going on here. It's almost like they can't pull it off unless they work with some kind of number system of some kind. It's, it's really creepy, to tell you the truth. And this is an example of how reality can fragment. And what I'm struggling to do as a, as a healer, because after all, ultimately, even though I'm writing fiction now and I'm an art, I've always been an artist, really what I am at the most essential core is as a healer. And I'm really trying to, to, to see like how these things penetrate our field so that we can become more conscious of how to handle it. That is so interesting, Barbara. You and I share a deep connection with the Pleiadians. Can you talk about your connection with the Pleiadians? Um, yeah, it, I'm. in my case, I'm part Cherokee by birth and also by training. And because I was trained as an initiate when I was a child. And um, we, cons we, we consider ourselves to be from the Pleiades. And this has been a lifelong mystery for me. You know, like, what does it mean? I, I simply was taught when I was three years old that I came from the Pleiades. And, you know, when I went to school, to American in first grade and they asked me where I came from. Needless to say, I got myself into quite a bit of trouble. <laughs> and I learned very quickly not to say that. But it's just it's just my sense of myself. And so, I've, of course, being a curious person, I've studied that over the years to try to understand it because I go visit many indigenous people all over the planet who say they're from the Pleiades. And I think what it is, is I think that the Pleiadians have been deeply involved with us with our planet and culture for the last 100,000 years. And 100,000 years represents one of the key cycles in the Mayan calendar analysis that I work with, the one that's based on Carl Kalamon's research. And that 100,000 year phrase is, is, the, is called, he calls it the regional underworld. I call it the Paleolithic underworld. And I think that it's over the last 100,000 years that we have become conscious of ourselves in a deeply spiritual way. And I think our guides are the Pleiadians. Because, because if you go, if you study, I, I, I covered a lot of this material in Catastrophobia, um, which then was republished in 2011 as Awakening the Planetary Mind, where I went back 100,000 years. And if we go back, um, a lot of archaeologists and anthropologists find evidence for human contact um, and you know, really literal obsession with the Pleiadian star system going back 40, 50,000 years. So I just think, I think it's really, it's, it's, it's kind of our stellar muse. It's kind of our guidance system from the skies. And in some readings and some teachings, I've read that we're actually part of the Pleiades, actually. So, which is kind of interesting that Earth is part of that. So it's, there's a lot of people who write about it. It's fascinating. We both have Ra in our name. I'm Caroline Ra, and you're Barbara. So <laughs> it's there. It's very interesting, the connection. Um, what is the process for you now? Is the second book, the sequel to Revelations of the Ruby Crystal, um, is this a different writing process than the first book? Um, no, it's just, they're still all getting together, um, and I haven't plotted it so far. I'm about a third of the way through it. Um, and I don't know how long it's going to take. Um, as I told you when I talked to you before we, we went on tape here, um, I'm in the middle of moving right now, and you know what that's like. It's total chaos. And by the way, I'm going to be down in um, Portland this weekend. Um, I'm going to be at Durant. Yeah, I'm going to be at New Renaissance, because you're in Ashland, um, and I'm going to be at New Renaissance, um, 7 to 8.30 p.m., um, down in Portland. 
Um, so I'm traveling around and um, in the middle of moving. And what was your question? <laughs> oh, no, I'm, I'm heading up to Portland, too, but I think I'm going to be there at a different time than you are. I'm going there for Thanksgiving, so I think uh-huh. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll miss you. I'll, I'll see you there, but it's neat that you come down this way. Um, is, are you doing a, a book signing there? Yeah, it's a signing, but I'm also doing a talk because one of the things that's happening in this trilogy is what I'm really intending to do with the whole trilogy, not just the first novel, is I'm tracking um, the entrance of our culture into the age of Aquarius. And so the timeline for this trilogy is 2011 through 2020. So because I'm tracking that timeline and attempting to um, observe our entrance into the age of Aquarius, I'm, I'm watching for things from the age of Pisces that are dropping off. For example, the age of Pisces is the, is the era of organized religions. And right now on the planet, we're in a titanic struggle between East and West and the organized religions because we're coming to the end of the age of Pisces and the Aquarian energy is struggling to move in. So um, when I go out and do a signing, what I'm actually doing is I'm kind of like the latest news. Because at any moment in time, I'm tracking what's going on. And so one of the things I'm doing when I go to a signing is I'm giving a, a talk about where we are at the current moment. And, the, and that's a lot of fun to do that because I'm going along and doing it progressively. I, you know, visit by visit, I see more of what's happening. That is so interesting. We are having such an amazing time talking with Barbara Hanclow about her latest release Revelations of the Ruby Crystal, which is her first work of fiction. And uh, are you going all around the country now doing book signings? Or? No, not that much because at this point I live up in Canada. I'm up outside of Vancouver. And so I'm doing the West Coast at this point. I was just in Santa Fe a few weeks ago. So I'm just kind of doing what I can. I'm also doing a lot of, a lot of interviews because obviously it's so much easier to stay home and do interviews rather than to go out on the road. Going out on the road is always a challenge. So we're doing what we can. I'm really appreciative of support at this point because, boy, there's a, boy, it's a big change um, from a marketing point of view to go from nonfiction to fiction. And um, at this point, it's really what I want to do with the rest of my life. So I'm just hoping that people will jump on board. I, I do think the book is a page-turner. Um, I've already, at this point, talked to a couple of hundred people who have read it now, and people are all telling me they can't put it down. So at the very least, in fact, people are comparing it to Dan Brown um, and, and, and uh, the Da Vinci Code, except that I think my characters are more real than Dan Brown's characters. In, in other words, people are enjoying all of the content. Um, I, I really go deeply into the Vatican and deeply into, at this point, we have two popes in the Vatican right now, which is a fascinating situation. So I'm really reporting on Vatican politics. And when it comes to the facts in the book, like, like the issues of the early church or the issues of the Vatican, all of that is, um, is, is, is very well researched and all of, it's, is, all of it's totally accurate. It's just that fiction freed me up from footnoting and referencing and bibliography. It's such a relief to get away from that and just let the material flow. I definitely, as a reader, um, felt like I was taken to another world. It was actually a big deal to return to my actual life and, and look around and go, oh, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> it definitely um, drew me in. I'm very excited about uh, 
reading the second book and having you back on Spirit of the Dawn. And I was hoping that you could share some closing words of wisdom with us. Uh, well, this is, you and I are having the, you know, the lovely opportunity to talk the day after the bombings in Paris. And it's very, very disturbing um, for all of us to see this happening. Um, at the same time, I'd like to say that from my point of view, once the West got deeply involved in um, in getting involved in the uh, Middle East, you know, once the Americans attacked Iraq in uh, 2003, basically what's happening now is inevitable. And I personally think it's only going to get bigger until the West reevaluates its belief that it can tell other people and other cultures um, what to do with their lives. And I think this is something that the West is going to have to face up to, or we're going to have this kind of thing increasing all over the planet, which would be very, very sad. It's so heartbreaking when you see this happen. But just think of what it was like to be a person living in Iraq in 2003 and having the Americans coming in and starting a war. I think we've got to look at this from both sides. So those, that would be my only words of wisdom. As we go out of the age of Pisces and into the age of Aquarius, um, you know, see, the age of Pisces is about organized religion um, in the sense that the, the idea about organized religions is the only way you can get to the divine is to be part of an organized religion and to follow their protocols. And I think in the age of Aquarius, we're going to be dealing with, I could almost call it the age of Gnosis, the age of knowledge. I think we're going to be dealing with direct access to the divine. And so we're living through this terrible stress right now, but I think we have to start seeing that nobody can tell anybody else how to worship or how to believe. People need to develop their own cultures and their own ways of consciousness. And so that'd be my parting words of wisdom right now. Oh, Barbara, that was beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom with us today and for joining us. It has been magical for me to talk with you, and I greatly appreciate the time we spent together. Well, thanks for having me. Deep gratitude to everyone who has joined us, and a special thank you to Brian, Zach, and Synergy for the use of their song, Embrace the Change. I invite all of you to visit Barbara's website, handcloud2012.com. That's H-A-N-D-C-L-O-W-2012.com. And uh, sending love from my home to yours, I am Theadian Emissary of Life, Caroline Ross.